Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, June 18th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Y Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. So Chris is not here. He's out on assignment. He will be missed. Uh, but I'm sure he'll come back next week and talk about all the things he's been seeing and doing. But uh, let's uh, let's dive in here and talk about uh, what we've been doing. I uh, I've been traveling and going to theme parks. Basically, I, I've talked about that on an episode of the podcast last week, so I won't uh, retread on any of that. But uh, I have been spending a lot of time in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. I think I've gone seven times now. Um, because uh, and, and just to j- justify that, guys, uh, I didn't think I was going to get invited to a press day. I didn't think my cast member friend was going to invite me to an early cast member preview. Uh, so we booked a hotel for the opening day that would get us in. And then afterwards, they announced that uh, people could reserve uh, times in Galaxy's Edge. And each of my friends each reserved a time for them plus five people. So I've just been 
just been, you know, going in on their passports to a galaxy far, far away. But I, I've been enjoying that. I've been producing a lot of video content from Galaxy's Edge. So if you enjoy, if you want to see what it is like in Star Wars land, head on over to uh, my YouTube channel, Ordinary Adventures. I just posted a thing yesterday, which I think is probably the, 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 the thing I'm proud of most that has gone up on this YouTube channel. It's basically a compilation of all the ridiculously obscure things that you can buy in Galaxy's Edge. So this is like prop replicas that I never thought they would actually make. Like, um, Brad, you were over, and you were the one that pointed out the the necklace from Phantom Menace. Yeah, the Japor snippet that Anakin gives to Padme. Yeah, you can buy that. You can you can own that yourself, give it to your girlfriend, and uh, it'll give her good fortune. So uh, watch the video and see all the ridiculous stuff. Um, I will link it in the sh- show notes. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention that uh, I, I haven't really done much exciting, but I did get um, something. I got a thing called the Bedjet 3, and this is um, something I kick-started a, like a year ago. And uh, what it is is it's basically an air conditioner for your for your bed. And it, it's this thing that sits underneath your bed, and this tube runs up, and it goes into the special sheet that they provide that uh, is it sits below your comforter. And the sheet has kind of like a hole that this uh, this thing goes into, and it basically blows cold air at whatever temperature you want at whatever uh you know speed you want into this sheet so it almost like provides this like cloud experience like you're sleeping not only are you sleeping under your you know comforter but like there's you know how like like sometimes you get under your comforter and you like you get some air in there and it feels like there's like you know a cloud of air inside there like it feels like that all night long and uh, it does it doesn't get as hot at night, uh, it's ridiculously it's a ridiculous thing. It has a remote, uh, has an iPhone app. Um, we have the dual zone version of it, which basically means that the the sheet has a partition in the middle, which means that uh, Kitra can put her side of the bed at any temperature, and I can put my side at any temperature. And uh, and my dogs like jumping on top of the uh, the cloud of air that is on the bed. So um, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I'm not sure if this is for sale anywhere yet. I know that Bedjet has uh, traditionally sold online, um, but this was like their new model, and uh, I actually like it. I was expecting it to be like one of those uh, stupid purchases that I was going to regret, but uh, I really enjoy it. I'm, I'm not sure how much it is. You would have to look it up. Uh, you know, Peter, as someone who likes the feeling of being under covers but also likes to sleep while ice cold, this sounds amazing, and I want one. Yeah. No, and it, it oh, and I should also say um that it doesn't have to be cold air. It can heat you too. So during the cold months you can actually have hot air down there. So um Yeah, I'm the kind of person that like if I, I love sleeping with covers, so if it's too hot to sleep with covers, I put on a fan to make sure that I can sleep with covers. Yeah, what one of my friends see when I lived in San Francisco, one of my roommates used to sleep and he used to have a um I mean this is probably really dangerous. But he had a um, one of those uh, hair dryers, and he would like sleep under the covers during the, the winter with the hair dryer warming up his feet and stuff like that. And I always it's would make fire fun. hazard. Yeah, I know. Why didn't he die? I know he didn't die. Uh, surprisingly, <laughs> but 
but I tried it once and it was actually quite comfortable. I, I would not risk, you know, that fire hazard, but this is a safe way of doing that. So, uh, th- this is not sponsored at all. I literally, you can go to my Kickstarter page and see that I backed it. So that's the Bedjet 3. Um, Jacob, you've been up to some exciting stuff. You, I saw you got a tattoo. Yes, I went and got a tattoo, my first one. Uh, after years of debating whether or not I should, I pulled the trigger on it. And, you know, this is, you know, as I've detailed both on my Twitter and my Instagram and on this podcast, actually, I spent uh, the past six months making some big life changes. And I decided that, you know, six months into changing my life, I wanted to commemorate that. By doing something permanent to remind me not to backtrack. So I, I got a tattoo. And the details of the tattoo um, will be discussed at a um, later point. It's a, I ended up going with something a little more personal after going over a lot of geeky options. I decided to go with something that mattered to me on a level that is uh, requires some explanation to really get into why I chose this. So I won't get into it here. I will post about it on Twitter um, at some point. I'll, I'll post a full picture of it as well. Uh, it's still healing right now. That's actually I'll get I'll talk about the process for those of you who've never had a tattoo. I went to a uh, a gentleman in Austin. His uh, Instagram handle is uh, at uh, Bearded Gentleman. Uh, if you want to see his work, he is a, a big member of the Austin film community. I did not know I actually knew him until I arrived at the shop because I've met him at Fantastic Fest a few times. But he's uh, he's done work for a lot of my friends and. Uh, so I now share a tattoo artist with like four of my friends from the Austin film circle. But I was as someone who's never done it before, you know, it's, I was impressed by, uh, you know, the, the, the entire process about how like he pulled out his iPad and we like, discussed details on, um, he's, he like kind of worked on it on his iPad as we, you know, worked on the design as he printed it out on the paper that, you know, applies it to your body as he took out his equipment, which he had all hand built and customized himself. Uh, you know, talk about ink and color options. We, we worked on placement. We decided the first placement didn't work. So we, we took off the stenciled version and reapplied it again. You know, just uh, the process um, that I did, I'd never thought about going into this. You know, I've in the mental image of how a tattoo shop operates. I didn't think of all the nuance and all the many, you know, creams and lotions and oils used to make sure everything is as clean as possible. And but how my guy had um just really, really good bedside manner. And he had to, like, he's what you wanted to have a good doctor, but a tattoo artist, you know, very upfront and honest about the process, but, you know, but also very comforting at the same time. And I was in there for about maybe two and a half to three hours, but the actual tattoo itself was about 90 minutes. It's about five and a half inches long, about two and a half inches at the widest on my, on my, uh, uh, lower, um, on my left forearm on, on the underarm. And, it looked great when it was done. Uh, I have some photos of that. And right now it's still healing because, like, the tattoo looks amazing for the first hour. And then it starts healing. And then it looks really, really awful for a few days. <laughs> wait, wait. Are, actually... are, are you even going to say what it is? Not yet. I'll, I'll talk okay. about that later. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. I, I know um, you said you were going to explain it later. I just didn't know if yeah. you were going to say what it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so so right now it's in the process of still healing. Uh, for the first couple of days, I wore this sort of medical seal on it. That they use, uh, that he bought, but it's usually used for people who couldn't have surgeries, and that just collected all the goo and plasma and blood <laughs> that would normally be leaking out of it constantly. Uh, and then once that dried, I was able to remove it, and now I just keep it clean. I keep it moisturized, and 
from about a few feet away, it looks great. When you get close, you can see the skin is still very, you know, cracked and peeling. And in about a week or so, it will be fully healed. Then I will go on Twitter, Instagram, post pictures. You can see what it is. You can ask questions. I'll explain the origin of it. Uh, I actually outlined five reasons in great detail why this had to be my first tattoo. Uh, but yeah, it's um, it was a really interesting process. And if you're in Austin, like to look up uh, at Bearded Gentleman to see his work. And yeah, I, as someone who I think has a pretty strong pain threshold, I found the whole process to be not nearly as bad as I imagined, <laughs> even though it is painful, like it hurts, but it also wasn't like excruciating, which I, which I was surprised by. So I'm not going to go out there and say, everyone should get a tattoo. But if you're thinking about it, you know, know that the best artists are the ones who are going to spend time with you, who are going to talk with you, who are going to, you know, really take pride and care in the setup. So, you know, do your research, look up people's work on, you know, social media. That's where the best tattoo artists are posting other stuff and know that it's a much more positive experience in every way than I thought it was going to be. Very cool. I I've often thought about getting a tattoo, but my, my number one fear in life is, is needles. Like whenever there's a needle on, a movie screen you'll if you're in the movie theater with me you'll see me actually put my hand my hands in front of my eyes i just can't can't watch and the thought of a needle penetrating me like a jackhammer to to draw a tattoo on me is so frightening just don't look i i, I looked away the entire time i stared at the <laughs> ceiling and i only looked when i was done uh but yeah so like it hurts but it's also it doesn't feel like the way a needle feels when you get like an injection or blood drawn. And I've had a lot of that in my life. So I know the difference. It, it definitely feels like sort of a, a burning sensation, but it's not, it did not feel, it was not the same sensation as having a needle full on puncture a vein to collect the blood or to inject yeah. you. Uh, does anyone else here on the team have a tattoo? I believe there's at least one other. And I want to hear them chime in on the pain issue for Peter and the needle issue for Peter. I do. I have two tattoos, actually. I have one on my wrist and one behind my ear. And it de does depend where you get it. Um, my wrist is, was like a little bit of a sensitive area. So uh, areas I think that have are closer to the nerves tend to be a little bit more painful. But behind my ear, I could barely feel anything. It was almost more like just a scratching sensation. So um, yeah, the pain, uh, I wouldn't describe it as being anything like a needle, really. It just kind of feels like um, I don't know how to describe it. I, I guess it's just, uh, it's, yeah, I guess like a burning sensation almost in a way, but it goes away just as quickly. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like a bad sunburn for the first couple hours. And like, I, other than the skin being dry and a little stiff, I don't feel it at all in the days afterward. Yeah. I'm not worried about the healing process and that, that feel. I'm more worried about the getting it. When I was a teenager and I was working at Best Buy, I actually considered uh, getting a tattoo of a barcode on my wrist. Of uh, I was going to get the barcode for the DVD of Back to the Future, my favorite movie, and I thought that would be cool. That I could go up to the registers and like you know scan in my my arm for Back to the Future, which now wouldn't work because no one has DVDs. But um, I'm wondering, Ben and Brad, have you ever considered getting tattoos? Uh, I have not. I have no interest, but that's just me personally. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, always uh, a fan of seeing cool art, <laughs> you know, in, in any form. But yeah. uh, I've just it's never spoken to me. I um, have thought about several tattoos that I would get, but uh, I don't like 
the idea of constantly being stabbed by a needle. I don't I wouldn't say that I have a fear of needles because like, I don't have a problem seeing them on screen or anything like that. Um, but I, I've had a couple bad experiences with getting blood drawn where they, like, they have had like they've been digging around in my arm to get it. And I know the tattoo process isn't anything like that, but those experiences have made me leery of doing anything involving needles stabbing my skin. And so um, I had the sensation tested out on me once uh, by, a, by a tattoo artist, and I just did not like it. And I couldn't imagine having that sensation for an hour or more, uh, <laughs> you know, based on the tattoos that I would want. So uh, it's just, just not for me. So I just, I'm just left to fantasize about the cool tattoos I would get if I weren't such a coward. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing I worry about is I've always been a person that would uh, gain some weight and lose some weight. And I'm worried about, like, stretching of the of the art. Um, Jacob, I know you, you have lost a considerable amount of weight recently. Is that anything that you've worried about? It's why I got it, actually. One of the reasons why I, can, I, I thought I'd do it is that my forearms – there are two parts of my body that I feel have reached a really ideal point uh, physicality-wise, and that is uh, my thighs down uh, are actually, like, fat-free because they've been lugging around. Because I've been lugging around so much weight my entire life, my legs took to weight lifting so well to the point where my legs are, like, uh, as muscular as they could possibly be, which <laughs> seems like a really weird thing to say. Yeah. And my forearms are an incredible shape, which is why I chose my first tattoo for my forearm. My upper arms, you know, my chest, my stomach, still, still have a ways to go. I'm working on those areas. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of weight loss and a lot, a lot of considerable muscle mass built up. But, you know, I am a long ways away from making those ideal. But this tattoo on my forearm is, is an excuse for me to maintain the weight loss, maintain the regime, and keep myself fit to make sure it stays as good as I want to look. So, so basically what you're saying is next year you're going to be getting like a one-foot large chest tattoo when you reach that goal. <laughs> Peter, I have already talked over um, having my left arm be a uh, sleeve of all the things I like done by the same artist. So it's, 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 the talks are happening. Literally, we're discussing second tattoo in the middle of the first tattoo. It's a, yes. very, it's, it's a very addictive thing immediately. It is. As soon as you get your first tattoo, you kind of think about what you want to get next. So I'm excited for you, and I'm really happy for you, Jacob. Yeah. Thank you, HD. Me too. Um, HD, what have you been up to this week? I went to Rockaway Beach in Queens. So uh, this is my first time going to a beach in New York. And this was a very new experience for me because I've never lived in a place where the beach is so close. Um, Rockaway Beach is about 15 miles away from uh, my apartment. And um, I uh, took... I went with my roommate's coworkers and they had a car. So we drove there and that was a really breezy uh, drive. I think by public transport, it would take a little bit longer, but it was still so insane to me that this beach was just in the same city as me. And it's a really nice beach too. Um, it was, uh, I know it was hit pretty hard by Hurricane Sandy a couple of years ago, but um, so I wasn't expecting it to be incredibly in great shape. But when I got there, it's a beautiful beach. It's really wide and clean and there's lots of sand. For a lot of city beaches, I kind of anticipated there being a lot of rocks, but it was it was nice. It was a really nice beach. And um, there's a really beautiful little boardwalk there too with lots of great food. So that was great. So it was a lot of fun, even though the day we went was actually quite windy and almost a little bit chilly. So <laughs> we didn't stay that long, but it was a lot of fun. And I'm excited to uh, make return trips to Rockaway Beach, especially because it's in the same borough as me. Yeah. Have, have you been to Coney Island yet? I haven't. That's one of the, that's going to be one of my summer uh, missions, my quests. I'm trying to try to explore more of yeah. just New York in general. 
Yeah, when I was there last April, I went to Coney Island and it was freezing cold <laughs> because, <laughs> because it was just like, yeah, I don't know, it was just cold as it w- was anyways. And then, you know, being next to the ocean, it, it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like I am also less than 10 miles away from the beach, um, uh, away from like Santa Monica Beach. And I feel like most people I know that live in L.A. don't go to the beach. Ben, why is that? Um, I think because it's just such a pain in the ass, like traffic and everything. I mean, yeah, like mileage wise, it's not that far from us, but time wise, it's just such a a hassle, you know? And then there's also the thing about like, there's so many people in LA that on nice days or weekends when the weather is really great or whatever, and you're like, all right, I'm going to the beach. You get out there and every beach, regardless of where you are, seems like it's packed and there's people who don't understand the concept of like uh, headphones existing? Who bring you know <laughs> you know they're they're like boom boxes or whatever the modern equivalent of that is, and just like crank the freaking volume, and it's like I just want you know, to lay out on the it's beach worse. and like read a book or something, you know? It's worse now because back in the day a boom box was like this huge contraption, and now it's just like the small Bluetooth speaker that's like the size of a Coke can. Yeah, and it's just oh god, I don't know. That that's that's like my number one deterrent is just like I I love the beach, I love the idea of going, but then the practicality always sets in. So I really only go to the beach like I don't know twice a year or something like something really really small, maybe even once a year, and it's just uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'm always that's seeing LA, you that's going LA beaches though. I'm always seeing you going on like these huge hikes to places that nobody else are at these calm peaceful places. Yeah, that's great. And there there I will say though that a lot of times on a lot of those hikes, people bring those same Bluetooth Ugh. speakers and just <laughs> you like can never escape. I know. They like attach them to their backpacks or something and they're just like blasting. And I'm like, we're out in the serenity of nature here. For God's sake, what are you people doing? It's just like the the selfishness. I can't get over it. Like the idea that uh that anybody that you could possibly encounter would be okay with or would enjoy the music that you're bestowing on them like give me a freaking break man just wear some headphones for god's sake yeah like why not wear some headphones or some airpods with airpods you could give one to your significant other and one to you and you could both enjoy the same song at the same time and not bother other people the, nobody has any consideration for other people that's what it all boils down to okay uh brad what have you been up to since you've now been back home uh, so I'm uh, getting ready as best I can for my girlfriend to move in with me. Uh, she's going to be moving over to the Midwest to me from Utah. And so I kind of have to get uh, certain things at the house in order so that we can move uh, her stuff in here. She doesn't have a ton of things because she's been living with two other roommates, but she still uh, you know, has to move a pretty good chunk of stuff across the country. Um, we've been discovering that moving things across the country is super expensive. Uh, whether you want to try to do it through some kind of like uh, truck service, like van lines or something like that, or even like uh, some companies have these pods that you can get dropped off and you pack them up and they ship them across the country to your house. Uh, all of the options are very, very expensive. Um, so like I said, thankfully she doesn't have tons of stuff that we have to worry about. Um, you know, not, she doesn't have an overwhelming amount of furniture or anything like that. So it won't be too bad, but just the logistics of figuring out when to have the pod dropped off and get it packed up and how long it takes to get here. And then, uh, what, what, what about a road trip doing it yourself? Like that seems well, like it could be fun. 
Well, but even even that in itself is is expensive. We looked into a truck rental um, where we would have to, we would load her stuff in a truck and then tow her car uh, behind us, um, or even driving the car separately. And the cost to rent a truck like that and drive it across the country uh, costs almost as much as it does to get a pod. And then you have to deal with the inconvenience and somewhat challenging nature of driving a big moving truck across the country 22 hours uh, So on top of paying for gas for that as well. So it's just any way you slice it, it is an expensive endeavor and it comes with some level uh, of inconvenience. So that's why it seems like the pod uh, route is probably the most efficient way to do it and then we'll st- we she and i can still uh drive her car, car car across the country and kind of enjoy ourselves a little better so that we're not rushing to get the truck back uh by a certain time and we can kind of just enjoy the, the sights and maybe stop at a couple places on on the way okay cool uh wh- so, yeah. what else have you been doing uh and then a couple of friends of mine are in the midst of opening their own escape room in my town um, I, I live in a fairly small town in Indiana. It's called Laporte. It's about a half an hour west of Notre Dame, for anybody who knows where Notre Dame is. And there, uh, there's not tons of stuff to do in my town. You usually have to drive uh, 30 to 45 minutes somewhere else to like do something of any uh, real consequence, maybe 20 minutes in some cases. But uh, So they're, my friends are opening their own escape room where they're going to have a few different rooms. Their plan is to open it sometime in August, and so they just recently uh, announced it to the public, and uh, I'm helping them out with getting all the various moving pieces in order. Uh, we, we, I've known that they were doing this for a while, and so I've been talking with them about what they're going to do and planning the puzzles and like the story for them and that kind of thing, and so all that's starting to come together, and uh, they're in the construction part of it right now because they have to knock down a couple walls and just kind of set the rooms up in general, and then they'll get into the all the puzzle building. So that, that's been pretty cool. Very cool. Um, do, do they, do you think they can sustain a escape room? Not in a major city like that. Like, I feel like most of them are in like major cities where like there's tourism and, uh, you know, you, you need to like repeat business and stuff like that. Yeah. So even though I live in a small town, I live in a town that has, um, a few lakes in it. And so we get a lot of traffic of people that come through here to like ah. take their boats out on the lake and go fishing and, so there, there's a, there's a tourist stops here, and then there's there's even another like um, a, a town like that up in, that's up in Michigan, which is about 20 minutes away from here, where they get a lot of people that come through there, and they come down here. Uh, so there's there's definitely a desire for it. Um, when we posted about it initially, he got a huge reaction from uh, the community here because um, they already pay attention to him and some of the other stuff that we do through our, our charity stuff. So there's there's a lot of excitement for it, and people just want something you know uh, new to do. And they don't want to have to travel, you know, a distance for it if they can get yeah. get away with it. So it's it seems like it's gonna be proved pretty lucrative. Is any of it gonna be like movie inspired? Um, well, I believe one of them will will be movie inspired. Another one is supposed to be. I'm not. I want to give any details yet because they haven't announced that yet. But another one will be tied to something that is uh, kind of famous in in our area from from history. Uh, but yeah, the, because of how much my friend uh, and I love movies, we're, he's the one who we do the podcast together. Go Flix Yourself. Uh, there will definitely be some uh, movie-inspired elements in the escape rooms. Well, very cool. Keep us updated on this. Uh, let's move on to what we've been watching. Um, I've been on this podcast in two weeks uh, for the water cooler. So when Brad was over here for the Ghostbusters, uh, was it Fan Fest or Con? Fanfest. Yeah. Fanfest. Uh, you were seeing a screening of Ghostbusters, and me and Kitra went to go see Godzilla, King of Monst- King of the Monsters. 
uh, despite Jacob's warnings. I uh, I don't know why, but I thought like you know I like Mike Doherty, and I you know I tend to be the person that likes. I'm more of the populist opinion on this podcast. I like more popcorn movies. Like all the trailers I've been seeing for this Godzilla movie have have looked really good. Like why is Jacob and these and Chris and these other people saying this movie is so bad? I'm gonna give it a chance. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot myself and so I went and saw it expecting to like it more than everybody else and I can comfortably report that that was not the case um, this movie is not good I uh, it's incredible actors playing smart characters doing really stupid things in a convoluted plot only to service putting them at the exact center of the action and over explain things surrounding the monsters that we didn't really need explaining the big monster action looked beautiful but too bad there wasn't really more of it um i don't know i was really disappointed with this i was like in the theater like looking at my watch waiting for it to end and i really didn't expect it this comes from someone who i i love the gareth edwards godzilla i loved uh skull island you know i'm a a big fan of both those films and uh, i'm a big fan of the filmmaker here i was quite disappointed but Brad, you also saw this film later on, and I think you have a different opinion. Yeah, I actually didn't think this was all that bad. Um, I'm not in love with it by any means, and I won't. I'm not. I'm not going to sing its praises for everyone to run out and see it immediately. But I was pretty well entertained throughout. Um, I will acknowledge that the movie is a little bit too long, and I think that the emotional beats between the characters uh, don't seem to be very well earned. And the plot is definitely convoluted and the characters make silly decisions. But I felt like it all just kind of worked with the uh, the, the ludicrous nature of the presentation of what was happening with all these titans on Earth at the same time. Um, I, I, I feel like with a Godzilla movie, even though Gareth Evans kind of grounded a little bit more, it was clear that this one was really shooting for the moon and going for something that was a little bit more bombastic and crazy uh, with a Godzilla movie. And I was totally on board with that. Uh, The cinematography is gorgeous. I think the kaiju fights are really cool. And even though I don't really care a lot about the human characters, it didn't keep me from just enjoying myself. Um, Like I said, there's there's incredible shots in this movie, like like showstopper shots that just some of them tend to look like paintings. Um, and I think that the Bear McCurry score is also fantastic in this movie. Um, but yeah, I definitely didn't, uh, didn't hate the movie by any means. And I, I was, I was fairly entertained. Didn't, didn't find a lot to dislike about it. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like the lesson here, Brad, is I should listen to Jacob more often. That's always Probably. Yes, you should. I'm always right. When Chris is not here, you default to me. Jacob, uh, what have you been watching this week? Oh, I've been watching um, the new season of BattleBots, which uh, recently returned on Discovery and the Science Channel. And I've talked about BattleBots in the past when I caught up with the new seasons. And the new season is nothing short of incredible, Peter. It may be my favorite thing on TV now that Chernobyl is over. <laughs> what What is different about this versus the previous seasons? Uh, new episodes are all two hours long, uh, or 90 minutes, you know, when you count for commercials. And... They did exactly what I wanted from season three, which is all stuff they put on YouTube, all the like behind the scenes stuff of all the makers building the robots and you know between scenes. 
is now part of the episode. So between the fights, like they'll have a, a reporter back in the build room with the teams as they repair the robots, as they test out new weapons, uh, as they prepare for the fights. And like, there's a lot more camaraderie between all the teams being filmed. There's a lot more information about how the robots work and how they're built. And it just really leans into the, the, the how nerdy it all is. And once again, I just love how wholesome this show is. I mean, the robot combat community is so small that everybody knows each other. Everybody's friends. So even when they're like losing fights, still they're, they're still excited to be there. And the fights themselves are just so much fun. The robots this season are so much bigger, weirder, crazier, stronger. Uh, and man, uh, I just, I was cheering. I was laughing. I was screaming. And there's so much inherent drama. Like there's, there was a robot last season named Duck, who is a purely defensive bot, whose entire purpose is he has a very simple uh, weapon. He's built to take so much punishment that the other robot will break himself trying to break him. And yet he'll, he'll, he'll win by the other robot destroying himself. And he became a super fan favorite, and he was disqualified for um, for real bullshit reasons that people were really mad about, and caused him to rewrite the entire rules of how they score the robot fights because of how, how screwed over Duck was. And now Duck's back, he gets a redemption arc, and it's like wrestling meets Formula One meets like the most uplifting reality show out there, maybe a Great British Baking Show, but with robots instead of cakes. It is so good. It is BattleBots is so incredibly good. But it it sounds like unlike wrestling, there's no bad guys here. There's no like Billy Mitchell character that, that like I can love to hate. Not really. There's one guy who builds a, a robot named Tombstone, and he's been building for 20 years ever since the original BattleBots in the 90s. And he plays up the heel persona, uh, like when he's like on camera, he's really hamming it up. And his robot is really extremely scary and really hard to beat, and very rarely loses. In fact, the few times it, it loses, it, it tends to be when it like, overplays his hand and he hits the wrong thing too hard and destroys himself. Uh, <laughs> but but in, in real life, he's apparently a super nice guy, but on camera he plays up the villainous role. And like, like I said, if you like Great British Baking Show, a show where everybody is genuinely nice to each other and like gives each other hugs when they lose, BattleBots has a similar vibe, except with gladiatorial robots. So the entire season pass on Amazon is 14 bucks. So... I have I, I, 16 episodes. You're doing uh, eight episodes, then a short break, then eight more with a, with a tournament of 16 for the final uh, championships. But if this sounds remotely entertaining, and I hope it does, I think 14.99 is not a steep investment for 32 hours of really wholesome robot fighting. From your enthusiasm alone and your description, Jacob, I think we're only a couple years away from a BattleBots movie from Will Ferrell. You know, I would take it. I, I, I would take any kind of BattleBots movie. Like the, the world of robot combat is so specific, and the fandom is so niche but so dedicated that there is a movie to be made there for sure. I honestly believe that. Okay, what else have you been watching? Uh, I fell back in the Drunk History, a show I have watched off and on for years but never watched straight through, which I am now. It, it's all on Hulu, and the, it, the second half of the new seasons are arriving soon. And this show is great. I mean, you've You've probably seen episode or two if you, if you uh, turn on Comedy Central. And Derek Waters originally created this as a Fun You Die web series, and it became its own show. And the basic gist, if you haven't heard of it, is a uh, person, usually a L.A.-based comedian, gets extremely drunk and recounts a story from history. You know, maybe something super niche, something very famous. And then uh, celebrity celebrities, guest starring, reenact their story uh, by lip-syncing to it, by, re- by acting out what they're saying. And the comedy is just 
how a drunk person is trying desperately to describe a historical event while the actors play it as straight as possible. And it shouldn't work as well as it does. It is so funny. And as somebody who reads a lot of history and always tends to do a lot of extra research after watching a story I enjoy in direct history, uh, the way the show uh, actually genuinely tries to be historically accurate and get the basic facts right is really admirable and makes it you know educational in its own special way in addition to being really funny. Of course, it's not like you know going to give you all the details. It's not going to be like the perfect history show, but it's like a like idiot's guide to some basic historical events. I find it to be incredibly refreshing and very, very funny. And there are certain like, you know, recurring guests, like some people get really emotional when they get drunk. Some get very, you know, angry. Some get, you know, start falling asleep. And so each story has, has its own vibe and its own tone. And my favorite ones are where people are so drunk, they start getting overwhelmed by their own story and start like bursting into tears at like the very simplest concepts of their own historical story. Uh, I think Brad's a big fan of drunk history, right? Oh yeah, I love drunk history. It's <laughs> that series is amazing. Does anybody else watch this? If not, you guys got to watch this. That show. I watch a lot of. Oh, oh go, I, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> I watch a lot of clips on YouTube, and I really enjoy it. But I've never watched it all the way through. Oh man, it's so funny. I love it so much. My wife and I, we we let a bunch of episodes build up on our DVR, and then decide to you just have like one night where we have a bunch of drinks and watch it because that's one of the things about the show. A lot of times it'll show people like going way too far with their drinking and throwing up. And, and, you know, that's part of the humor of it as well. But, uh, a lot of it is just like, man, it makes me want to have a drink. So, um, we'll just like, you know, let this build up form and then, uh, have a couple drinks and, and, you know, dive in and start binging episodes. But I, I love the show cause it's, it's really funny, but it also does. I mean, Jacob, you're right. It, it does actually teach you things like, I learned from drunk history that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, these presidents who hated each other for most of their lives, died on the same day. And I had no idea about that. You know, they never taught me that in my history books in, in elementary school or, or high school or whatever. So, uh, you know, drunk history will teach you some stuff, too. And I've only seen clips on YouTube. But now I'm curious, Jacob, like what is an episode where you have a sleepy drunk? Like, how is that even handled? Like, do they fall asleep and then... <laughs> Like, what what happens? Well, from what I understand after reading up how the show is shot, they tend to get somebody drunk and then film the story once, and then they go back and um, get them even more drunk to the point of oblivion and then film it again, so they always have backups, so they so they always fall back and make sure they finish version. But there have been multiple stories where a person starts nodding off mid-sentence. It's like literally the reenactors in the scene like turn to the camera and pause because like literally the story has stopped. <laughs> and um, and Derek Waters, who hosts the show, um, what I really like him, his like contribution to the show is that he gets drunk with them, which serves two purposes. One, gives them really funny chances for reaction shots. And two, it means the person who's drunk isn't drunk alone. So they have somebody who is, you know, sharing the um, sharing it with them. And as, you know, as someone who is my fair share of drunk nights. When you get really drunk to oblivion, there's nothing more important to having, you know, a friendly face there with you to help you through. So when somebody's like really gone overboard and like has in one case one episode has fallen onto the floor and is demanding her Domino's cheese bread because she wants that before she can finish the story, you know, Derek Wars will like literally sit down on the floor next to her, help her up and like talk her into finishing the story. It's really adorable and like all of them almost end with everybody like who's drunk, saying, talking about how much they love Derek Waters and how, what a good friend he is because he's there to help them through this. And, and, so, and so Derek Waters' purpose uh, as the creator, you know, and essentially star of the show is to help the drunks navigate their story and make them feel comfortable. And it, he does a really, like, subtly admirable job of keeping the show on its feet. 
I do wonder about his overall health, though, because, <laughs> you know, if he's drinking for every show, this show has been going on for several seasons now. So. Yeah, I think we're in the middle of season seven right now. <laughs> that was before it was a um, when it was it was a, com- a, a funny or die web series before that. So he's been getting drunk <laughs> for almost a decade. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been watching, Jacob? Uh, uh, some high art, Peter, some genuine high art. Uh, 1996's The Substitute, directed by Robert Mandel. Ben, for some reason, I imagine you've seen The Substitute. Am I correct? Jacob, of course you're correct. Come on. We're, <laughs> we're talking about a Tom Berenger movie. Yes, I've seen this movie. <laughs> uh, the Substitute is the 1996 B-movie trash classic, where Tom Berenger is the grizzled mercenary whose team died in the most recent job. He comes back home to Miami, where his teacher girlfriend is kneecapped by a gang that operates out of the high school. So he goes undercover as a substitute teacher to find out who did it, and along the way, uh, kills a whole bunch of people and gets in lots of gunfights in high school, and at the same time, teaches all the inner-city kids about self-respect in history and why they shouldn't be in gangs. It is a collision of the 90s trashy action movie and the 90s inspirational white teacher teaches Hispanic kids how to be good movie. It is deeply offensive. It is cheap as hell. It is problematic by every possible standard. It is kindergarten cop made incredibly irresponsible. And man, it's fun. It is such a terrible, offensive, bad thing. I love the hell out of it. Tom Berenger should not be an action star, which is why he's great playing an action star. Uh, The cast is bizarre. It's Ernie Hudson playing the high school principal, who's also the main bad guy who runs the gang. A very young Raymond Cruz in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, frequently shirtless and frequently ripped as hell, just running around the movie with machine guns. <laughs> Luis Guzman playing a commando, looking still like Luis Guzman. Like, he still looks like Luis Guzman as he does now, except it's 1996 and he's wearing commando gear. Mark Anthony, like, super young Mark Anthony, running around as, like, the main henchman. Guys, the substitute, Ben, the substitute. <laughs> Uh, you know, I saw this movie when I was a kid, Jacob, so I, I don't remember all of the finer points of it. But I mean, as you're talking about it, it is bringing back some, I wouldn't say fond memories, but <laughs> some memories of the film. And, uh, you know, this is, I mean, it's sort of an interesting time capsule. Like you said, it's a, it's a lot of 90s stuff rolled up into one. But it's also an interesting time capsule to look at through the lens of Tom Berenger, who is a guy that, like, maybe our listeners don't know, even though he was, like, a huge movie star at one point. Like, he had this incredible run from, like, Platoon in the mid-80s to maybe to this in the mid-90s, where he was, like the guy in a a lot of these movies and he has since fallen off in a a pretty significant way and and he's had you know a few appearances here and there he was in inception for uh you know and he played a small role in that for example but um yeah it's just it's an interesting interesting time capsule to look back and remember like oh wow there was a period there where where (laughs) tom berenger was like the shit in hollywood and it's kind of movie where like the one scene will be the rowdy class of minorities learn to shut up because this grizzled white guy says, you know, Vietnam was like a gang war. And they all say, oh, really? He says, yeah, here's why you shouldn't be in gangs, because of Vietnam. And all the kids oh shut God. up and nod their heads in silence. And the next scene is him putting on bulletproof vests and killing a bunch of people in the high school library because they try to ambush him there. It's that kind of movie. And it's dreaming on Amazon. <laughs> and you must watch it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the substitute available on Amazon Video. Uh, I okay, let's talk about some movies I saw last night. I went to my local AMC and had a double feature thanks to AMC um, A List. 
I got to see Rocketman. I got to see Men in Black International. I'll talk about Rocketman really quick first. I had heard a lot of great, great things about Rocketman, so I was looking forward to it. I had only seen, I think, that first trailer, um, and I was excited to see this. And it, it, it's pretty good. I think the genius of this movie, and this is something I actually didn't really know going into it because I don't think that first trailer kind of sells it at the as this is that it is a musical rather than just being a traditional music biopic. I feel like that first trailer tries to sell it on its fantasticalness. Um, and uh, I, I love the musical aspect of this. Uh, Taron Egerton uh, did a fine job as Elton. Uh, I will say I was a little disappointed by some of the uh, musical execution and arrangements like I I don't know I was kind of cringing during like Tiny Dancer and stuff like that it just doesn't sound he doesn't sound as good as Elton I mean who does but um, I also loved uh, Bryce Dallas Howard she plays uh, Elton's mom in this movie and it's just a great uh, small character role I, I wish this movie had even more fantastical moments but I, I, I would recommend this I did uh, enjoy it quite a bit um and I saw, as I said, Men in Black International. I think I'm the only person on staff who has seen it, except for our, the person who reviewed it. Who is that, Josh? Uh, yeah, Josh Beagle wrote our incredibly middling review of it, Peter. Yeah, I had heard a lot of bad things about this movie. I, Since the first trailer, I was like dreading seeing this film because I actually liked the first three movies, um, and it just didn't look good. Uh, I will say that... Men in Black International isn't nearly as bad as I was expecting it to be, but that's not to, that's not uh, to say it was good at all. Um, I enjoyed the fun of this world, like you know the quirky aliens, the 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 technology, how like you know how everything works, the world building. Um, the story, on the other hand, is a mess. It's uh, there's one point in the movie near the end where one of the characters screams something like, you've got to be shitting me, I think. And I think everybody in that theater was like thinking the same thing as that character in the movie uh, uh, said that out loud. Uh, the screenplay is just such a mess. Um, I really don't like F. Gary Gray. Uh, he's not a good action filmmaker. The action in this film is so flat and sometimes just badly shot. And I know he did film one of the worst Fast and the Furious installments in recent years as well. So I, I, I you know, I love Tessa Thompson. I love Chris Hemsworth. And at times this film feels like the script was relying on them to do some heavy lifting with the improv, improv like comedy moments. Like almost as if like the script was like, and let the actors improv something funny here. And I'm not sure it's that they don't have the chops or not because, I, I mean, we've seen Chris Hemsworth improv in Ghostbusters and he's good at it. Um, I'm not sure if we've seen Tessa do it yet, but w whatever reason, if it's the direction, if it's the how the movie was made. I mean, we have a whole article on the site, I think, about how the this movie kind of fell apart. Um, so I'm not sure what happened, but those moments just feel like they don't work and they can't be saved. The charisma of both these two incredible stars can't save these moments. And, um, yeah, and it's not enough to save the film. But I will say that this is not a horrible movie. It's, uh, just a middling movie. So, uh, with that said, Jacob, are you still, are, are you, are you going to see this? Oh, goodness. I think the first Men in Black is one of my 
favorite like pleasure pleasurable movies. I have seen it maybe a hundred times. I was young enough when it came out for it to be a childhood classic for me. And Barry Sonnenfeld brings so much personality and wit to the first Men in Black. And it's ninety eight minutes long and it flies. Everything about the first Men in Black is pitch perfect for what it is. The second one I think is a bad movie. Third one I think is a pretty good movie. But F. Gary Gray, as you said, just doesn't have that doesn't have the visual wit of Barry Sonnenfeld or the uh, knack for the uh, dry world building that makes the first one so special. And I don't think F. Gary Gray is a bad director. I just don't think he's the right fit for this kind of filmmaking. And who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll find a weekend where I have nothing to do and I'll go see it. But the fact that I'm skipping a Men in Black movie starring those two right now is really disappointing because I'm prepared to go back to this world. I just think they need to find the right director and do helmet. And clearly, based on the behind-the-scenes stories, everyone at Sony just didn't have to act together here. Is it too early? I know we're only in mid-June right now, but is it too early to call the summer a kind of a disappointment? So far, it's definitely a bummer. I mean... Uh, we're being rescued this week by a movie that Ben will talk about in a second. Uh, Toy Story 4 is incredible, but um, <sighs> Endgame is really, really good. But Toy Story 4 is great, but goodness, I'm having um, John Wick 3, of course, which yeah. was, but it's like between them, I'm, I'm, I'm racking my brain, and I feel like... Book smart, everybody been, likes. Yeah, but it was, it was also a box office bomb, so I'm just... I'm, yeah, I, think, I think you're right in, in terms of both, like critical reception and you know breakout movies i'm this, this is definitely a, one of the weakest summers in a long time okay ben uh tell us about the movie that might be saving the midsummer toy story 4 yeah it's a huge shock to me because you know as everybody knows the third movie ends so beautifully and i rewatched. i talked last week on the water cooler about how i was rewatching all of them leading up to the you know my screening of the the fourth one and i think i had watched the first two at that point and i rewatched the third one for the first time since theaters i think and i was just bawling by the end of it i mean it's so powerful and so emotionally resonant and so I, I went, you know, <laughs> re revisiting the franchise sort of um, made me even more uh, wary of the of this new sequel going into it. And it still won me over in a huge way. This movie is really, really great. Um, I was totally shocked and, and taken aback by how it does not feel like a cash grab or you know, just a cheap excuse to bring these characters back to sell more merchandise or anything like that. So many movies this summer feel like they were just, you know, haphazardly greenlit by, you know, a few people in a room because the IP is recognizable. And Toy Story 4 is not that. It is definitely a story that has, or a movie that has a, a specific story to tell. It is uh, in service of character arcs. It is in service of, um you know, returning you to this world and expanding it in in ways that I didn't realize that I didn't realize were necessary, but but now in retrospect feel totally necessary. Um, and I think that's maybe the highest compliment I can pay it. You know, for something that I, I thought was totally um, unearned or or just you know we didn't need it for me to walk out of that movie feeling like this is. Uh, you know, I, I thought I had closure in the third movie, but this is the, the closure that I was actually craving for these characters. Um, it, it's wonderful. I mean, the, the Forky, <laughs> even if you think that that character doesn't really work that well in the marketing, it works. He works so beautifully in the context of the movie. Um, 
I mean, I just I really can't say enough nice things about it. I, I was shocked to see how much I loved it. So, um, Peter, have you had a chance to see this yet? I'm seeing it tonight. So uh, okay. I'll report back next week. Cool. Uh, and then, yeah, just two other things that I watched. Um, I started The Handmaid's Tale Season 3. I know uh, HT talked about that early on a, a previous episode of the show. I am only, I think, two episodes into the season. Um, and I really still think that this is like one of the most gorgeously shot shows on TV. Um, some of the plot stuff uh, so far has has uh, given me a little bit of pause. I really, really loved the first two seasons. And, and I think the general reaction to season two was pretty mixed, but I fell on the, I really enjoyed this side of that. Um, so I was very much looking forward to the, the third season. And I think some of this, some of it may be starting to sort of come apart at the seams a little bit, but uh, you know, I'm still so early in the season that I can't fully say, um, but still the, the look and the performances and, are, and everything are, are just as good as uh, they've always been. So I'm excited to see and, and, you know, continue on with that and see how that goes. And then finally, I watched the entirety of uh, Chernobyl, which um, man, wow, that is, uh, that is a hell of a show. <laughs> um, I know that, you know, Jacob and Chris and you guys have, have talked about it on previous episodes and I, I really don't think I can add much to the conversation beyond what you guys said, but I just encourage everybody to watch it. It's five episodes. Jared Harris gives a tremendous performance. Um, it, it's, shockingly relevant for something that's supposed to be you know that took place in the late 1980s the the idea of the bureaucracy and like the um uh pushing the buck and passing the blame and and um you know all of the the thematics of the show are still very very much at at the center of our daily lives um even as americans not even as as russians but it's uh man it's, it's a really really exceptional piece of television so i can't recommend that highly enough Ben, on a scale of uh, happy to wanting to crawl on a grave and die, how did episode four make you feel? Well, the thing about that is because you guys hyped it up so so much beforehand, I, th- my wife and I sort of figured out what was coming before it actually happened. And I think that eased the, the pain for me a little bit. I think if I was just watching it blind and didn't know that that was going to happen and it sort of came out of nowhere, I think I, it would have gutted me a little bit more. But I think I was uh, I was steeled to it just a little bit by knowing um, or, or being able to sort of piece piece it together. But, yeah, I mean, it's still pretty freaking brutal. OK, uh, let's move on to HT. You've been watching a lot of stuff this week. In addition to going to the beach, you've had time to watch, uh, what, like a half dozen things? Yeah, I was. Well, this is for last week's Pop Culture Imports column. So if you want to check out some of the things I've been watching, check that out on SlashFilm.com. But first, uh, before I get into that, um, I kind of want to go back to what Peter was saying before about this summer being kind of a disappointment. And uh, I... In, uh, with that, I have seen Shaft, which kind of um, joins that epidemic of middling movies. Uh, this is the third film of the same name uh, that shares the same name, Shaft, of the original uh, 1980, 1970. Hold on just a second. I think it must be 70s. 1971 Shaft, um, but it's the fifth film in the Shaft franchise. And... Um, this film kind of it shaves off everything that made the original Shaft, which was at the forefront of the black exploitation movement, and 
shades off everything that made it rich and compelling and turns it into a generic action movie, which was very disappointing to see. But there are some good points um, with this film, especially with uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who kind of turns out his typical uh, Samuel L. Jackson acting as Samuel L. Jackson with the, tip, with the straight man of the movie. And while that's really amusing and fun, it doesn't quite carry the movie through like it has with previous films like The Hitman's Bodyguard and um, Captain Marvel. So his charisma is really enjoyable and fun here, but it's also bogged down by a lot of jokes about how millennials are the worst. And this might be because I was especially targeted in this film, but it felt like... A, very much like an, a grumpy old man kind of uh, opining for the better days of when masculinity was all about that, you know, that uh, uh, shooting first and asking questions later. So it's uh, it was a really lazy film to me and uh, more so even more so in how it was shot. It looked very much like uh, a procedural crime drama versus just what we've seen in the previous Shaft films where they're just about New York and they have that rich and that texture of New York. And here it just it looks very lazy. The story's really lazy. Samuel L. Jackson's charisma is always great, but can only do so much. Yeah. But somehow this movie got like an A on cinema score. Yeah. <laughs> I think so why are Samuel audiences... Jackson has that, has that uh, star personality still and is able to get people to enjoy that part of the movie. Okay, what else have you been watching? Uh, I have also been watching, um, I've seen Ophelia, which is the uh, sort of revisionist film starring Daisy Ridley. Um, from It's the retelling of Hamlet from the perspective of Ophelia, his doomed lover. And um, this is a film directed by Claire McCarthy. It's uh, this all-female um, sort of take on Hamlet. And it's much more revisionist than I anticipated. It actually has quite a few changes to the original Hamlet um, story than uh, I thought it would be. And um, it's a really beautiful film. It takes a lot of visual inspiration from uh, the painting, of Ophelia painting uh, by John Everett Millais. You may recognize it. It's that one of her committing suicide uh, and lying in the pond while surrounded by all these fauna and flora. And um, it definitely has that sort of painterly illustrative quality to it. But I think in trying to emanate that, it kind of has that similar stiffness and uh, creakiness that a painting would have. It's a little bit dull. It's a little boring. Uh, Daisy Ridley, I don't know if she's well-suited towards a period film. She's so fun and um, energetic in the Star Wars films. And she's a little bit um, just, she has that kind of wide-eyed uh, placidness going on with her here that is, Suits a Shakespeare play, I guess, but um, kind of uh, flies in the face of the strong-headed depiction of Ophelia that they're trying to go for. So I would say this film is beautiful, but it's a little bit of a mixed bag uh, performance and story-wise. Okay, that sounds like a skip for me. Uh, what else are you <laughs> watching? I have also watched um, this film called Everybody Knows. This is a uh, Spanish-language film uh, that reunites Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. It's 
uh, about these um, this family that goes back for a wedding in um, uh, uh, Argentina. I'm I think uh, they were and they um, and at this wedding. Uh, Penelope Cruz's daughter gets kidnapped and it kind of becomes the psychological thriller but it is more of a domestic drama it kind of uh with the kidnapping it starts to unravel all of these different domestic secrets and uh long-held passions between all of the characters and it's superbly acted but it's a little bit of slow burner so um Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz are great in this story in this film but um uh, I don't know if I would recommend it for everyone. It is on Netflix, but it's a it's an intriguing film that's um kind of yeah domestic drama writ as a psychological thriller. Very cool, and, and that's uh, um, everybody knows. What else have you been watching? Yes, everybody knows. I've also watched a film called All Is Well. This is a uh, German dem- sexual assault film, and it is about a, a woman who is sexually assaulted by her boss's brother-in-law and um, tries desperately to move past that. And in a sense, she kind of becomes further weighed down by the emotional trauma and the toil of this experience. And um, while it is re- you know, very centered around this sexual assault, it is uh, interesting in that it is more of a character drama in that it um, it's anchored really by this performance by A.N. Schwartz, who plays that central woman, and she's incredible in this. She, is, um, she delivers a really subtle performance that uh, is very disquieting and yet incredibly sympathetic. And while it is a little bit tough to watch, I would recommend seeing this just uh, for her performance and for this uh, more subtle um uh, approach to that sexual assault uh, story that we have kind of seen and while it might be tough to go into is a very incredible and kind of a, hit, a hidden gem that is also streaming on Netflix. Uh, and another one on Netflix that I watched is a very different film. It's called Pachamama and this is an animated film that is really lovely and it's only 71 minutes long. It's a little bit over an hour it's a, a love letter to South American culture. It's telling, telling the story of um, a young boy in 1530s um, Andes who finds his village um, suddenly invaded by Western invaders. And uh, in the middle of that, he's trying to recover this token of uh, the, god, the harvest god that his village worships. And it's this really interesting depiction of this rich culture, uh, but is done through the, the perspective of this little boy. And while it's a family film, it has, does touch on some darker themes, the Western colonization being one of them. But it's uh, really beautifully animated. It almost looks like a mosaic in a lot of senses. And again, it's an incredible short watch. I recommend it if you like uh, films like uh, Song of the Sea, Moana. It's really wonderful little tiny film that um, you can check out and watch just like that. Um, and another animated thing that I've been watching is uh, Agretsuko. I don't know if I have talked about Agretsuko on this podcast before. So this is an animated series that just came out with its second season on Netflix. And I absolutely adore this series. Uh, it's um, an anime series from Sanrio, which is the company behind Hello Kitty. And 
Agatsuko is another one of its products. And while that kind of seems like something that you would balk at, having a uh, series centered around something that's basically made to be merchandise, it's actually a very relatable and um, emotionally potent series. So it follows this uh, red panda um, named Retsuko, who is this um, mild-mannered and sweet office worker. And she goes through her days just kind of going from work to home and dealing with all these microaggressions and sexism at work. And she, as you know, all of these things pile up, she lets out all of her frustrations in the form of heavy metal. And so she will she will go to karaoke every day and her face will transform into like this mask of rage and she'll just like let out all of her frustrations and scream like in these heavy metal sequences uh, and death metal sequences, which are hilarious because she looks so sweet tempered and really cute um, outside of that. But when she goes into the karaoke room and goes into these heavy metal sequences, it just becomes like incredibly scary and hilarious looking. Um, it uh, again deals with microaggressions at work. She has to, she deals with a boss that's literally depicted as a pig who piles her up with all sorts of work. And she deals with a coworker in the second season who is incredibly recognizable to the point of being triggering. For me, it was, it was hard because I have worked with someone just like this before who um, took every minor slight again against him as a personal attack and end up writing a complaint or a letter to a, to their higher ups and to her like demanding apologies. And it's, it's, it's a little stressful to watch it sometimes because it's almost too relatable at points, but it's really fascinating. And it's, it's a, and it's just such a fun little watch. Every episode is only 15 minutes long. This is one I, I really recommend if you are in your twenties and uh, just dealing with office life and want to see something that's depicted in this really cute, um, really fantastical way. Uh, I've, I've heard it compared to office space, uh, which I think is a really apt comparison, but you know, much cuter and has that heavy metal bent to it. So I, I highly recommend this is streaming on Netflix now season one and two. Um, not, and not a day goes by HT where I don't see somebody wearing a t-shirt with this character on it. I think it has a really big sleeper following at this point. So I think yeah. I should check it out. It's very relatable. There's uh, one, there's one scene in um, this most recent season where Retsuko uh, ponders like what her goals are in life, and she says, uh, "I wonder if it's okay to live like this without any goals or without any dreams in life." And that kind of hit me a little hard. I, I remember I know a lot of friends who are wondering what their anticipations or what their goals are in life and their ambitions are, and uh, it definitely speaks to that. Uh, 20 something just aimlessness and uh, the the dull monotony of office culture so I, I highly recommend it it's really cute again a incredibly short watch and just very funny where, where can people um, find that? this is streaming on Netflix, Netflix Agretsuko cool and the last thing I've watched is the first episode of Dark. I missed the boat on this when it came out in 2017. This is the German sci-fi drama series that was a little bit of a phenomenon when it came out. And I've known, I know that it was compared a lot to uh, the German like Stranger Things. And it has a lot of those similarities. There's kids on bikes. There's a mysterious... Um, uh, disappearances of kids 
uh, in the small town. And instead of an alternate reality, there is time travel, uh, which is very fascinating. I've only finished the pilot, but um, I will say that it, while it has a lot of surface level um, similarities to Stranger Things, it is much darker, <laughs> very suitably, and uh, has a lot of um, very uh, disturbing elements, I guess you would say, uh, and something that's a little bit more intricate, I think, than just what you see with the upside down in Stranger Things. So uh, this is something that I wanted to catch up with because the second season is coming to Netflix soon. But uh, if you like Stranger Things, and I guess even if you like, um, I think there's some similarities to Twin Peaks here too. If you like that, I would recommend Dark. Cool. And that's also on Netflix. On Netflix. Yeah. Brad, what have you been watching this week? Uh, I haven't been watching a lot, but I did um, rent the house with a clock in its walls recently. Uh, this is something that I I had wanted to see in theaters last year, and then I just kind of uh, just dilly dallied and missed it, and so I I realized that it was actually out on home video, so I saw it and rented it, and I I actually enjoyed it. Um, it's directed by Eli Roth, who is not known for doing uh, family friendly fare, but this is, is this is really the kind of uh, spooky kids movie that they don't really make for kids anymore. Uh, it felt like a real throwback to movies of the 80s and 90s where there are genuinely scary elements in movies that kind of uh, helped kids come into their own and deal with with fears and, you know, maybe give them even some nightmares just to kind of, uh, you know, help them grow up a little bit. Um, and that's probably why Amblin also produced it, because it, it really does feel uh, like a throwback Amblin movie. It's it's not perfect, um, and there's it, it has a little bit of um, a stilted flow to it every, every now and then where it seems like the, the pacing is... A little bit off, but uh, I like the story. I like the uh, the characters in it. I, I, I like the the kind of world that it sets up. Um, J- Jack Black and Kate Blanchett are fantastic in it. Kyle MacLachlan's in it. Um, the main kid in the movie is really good, and it's yeah. I, I found myself enjoying it and wishing that studios would uh, make more movies like this because it's exactly the kind of movie that I would have loved watching when I was a kid. The house with a clock in its walls. So where can people watch that? Uh, it's available everywhere. Blu-ray, DVD, digital, anywhere you want to get it. And you've been watching some TV? Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine recently recommended this show called Letterkenny, which is this uh, Canadian comedy series. It's been on for seven seasons now uh, in Canada, but it was apparently just recently picked up by Hulu as a Hulu original. And the seventh uh season is um, now owned by Hulu and it uh, debuted on there. And I, a friend of mine just told me that it was really funny and I should just ch- uh, give it a shot and check it out. And so uh, I watched the first episode and then I got sucked in and watched the next few episodes. Um, I've only seen the first season so far. Uh, each of the seasons are only about six or seven episodes. So And o- the episodes are only half an hour uh, long, if not slightly less. So it's really easy to breeze through. And it's it's basically... The best way to describe it is it's like Clerks meets Napoleon Dynamite with uh, like the the edge of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And it's set in this really shitty rural farm town called Letterkenny. Uh, the characters are uh, this guy, uh, Wayne, who is this um, kind of very straightforward uh, hick who is um, just speaks very matter-of-factly and very quickly. Uh, his friend Dwayne, uh, who is a little bit uh, more laid back, and then Wayne's uh, sister, um, 
who who is uh in, into these two hockey players, uh, and then there's this group of like goth meth heads who are all, also always around, and it's just this very quirky, odd assembly of these small town characters. Uh, it's not. I, I don't want to say that it's it's consistently uh, laugh out loud funny all the time because there are some kind of silly immature premises, but there there are some really great uh, writing in here. Like there are some fantastic one liners that remind me of old school Kevin Smith. Um, and it's uh, it's definitely it's a raunchy show too because appa- apparently in Canada, I guess on their Comedy Network, which is their version of Comedy Central, uh, they're allowed to be a little bit more vulgar. So there's lots of f bombs and and uh, you know vulgar sex jokes and stuff like that. But it's there are so many lines uh, from this first season that are just hilarious and they come really quickly too. Um, but again, it's I will say that warn people if they choose to try and give it a shot that it's not it's not a show where everything in it is funny there's sometimes where you'll watch an episode and maybe a few minutes will go by and you'll just be like mm, that's, that's not really working for me but then it comes back with some, some really great stuff uh so yeah it's if you are interested in some canadian comedy uh check out letter kenny it's on hulu i think you've convinced me brad because this was they played the entire first season i think at fantastic fest a few years ago because they was before it was known in the united states they booked like it was like literally like three hours worth of episodes and just played them all in a film slot and the programmers were raving about it, and I skipped it. I thought, I have no time to watch an entire season of TV at a film festival. But ever since then, the programmers are still talking about Letterkenny and how much they like it years later. So I think this has pushed me over. I need to watch this show. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's worth giving it a shot. Okay, uh, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, let's start off with Jacob. What have you discovered this week? Oh, man, I- I've reached the, um, I think, a, some kind of health food pinnacle because I'm eating kale chips, Peter. Um <laughs> But uh, I found there's a... a point in every diet where the dieter discovers discovers the wonders of kale, Jacob. Oh, man, I've tried like eating fresh kale and I couldn't stand it. It's way too bitter for me in terms of salad. I prefer romaine. Uh, but Rhythm Superfoods, it's an Austin-based company, although their stuff is available online and on Amazon. Uh, and they make other uh, products as well, but they aren't as keto-friendly. But their kale chips uh, are six net carbs for an entire bag, so it's you know. That's a couple snacks all set away. And they even have, they have like various different flavors, like a habanero one and a, and a ranch one. And they just have a really satisfying crunch. They're, it, it, it really has a really nice, you know, subtle flavor to it, both in terms of the kale and in terms of seasoning. So if you want like a low-carb, zero-sugar snack that's healthy for you, that has uh, nothing really bad going on inside of it, uh, Rhythm Superfoods kale chips are quite good, and they get my endorsement. I'm gonna have to look this up. Uh, is this available on Amazon? I assume. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the prices are on Amazon. I mean, I found them in a local Austin Target, so uh, maybe LA has them in grocery stores. Yeah. But they do, but they are available online for sure. I just don't know, you know, what the price or packaging situation would be, you know, outside of a grocery store. Okay, uh, Brad, what kind of uh, interesting food have you been eating this week? Yeah, forget kale. Let's get to the the junky stuff. <laughs> by, by the way, did you get your Stranger Things new Coke in the mail yet? I did, but I have not tried it yet. So the, it did it did come with two cans of new Coke. So I will be trying it. I'll probably do that for the next episode. But I, I just haven't taken the time to crack open a can and try it yet. Did you try yours? I have not tried mine, but I did notice on the nutrition label the the amount of sugar that's in new Coke compared to like old Coke is about double. 
Perfect. So, I'm yeah. sure it's going to be delicious. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, I found a couple new cereals. Um, oh, a little while back, Pop-Tarts released their first uh, two new cereals uh, since they had one a long time ago that was discontinued. And it's released a new flavor of Pop-Tart cereal. It's cookies and cream. Uh, and like the other two, it is a uh, a cereal that it's the the pieces are made to kind of look like pop tarts, and then the inside is it has a filling in it. Um, it's kind of similar to the the Crave cereals or the recent uh, Philos cereals that I talked about on an episode not too long ago. Um, and this one's a little bit different because the uh, the outside of it ha- is kind of uh, has the, the like a frosted flakes kind of coating on it, so it's a frosted cookies and cream pop tart basically. Uh, and it tastes uh, surprisingly different than the Hershey's Cookies and Cream Philo cereal. I expected it to be about the same, but the frosting on the outside does make it taste uh, a little bit sweeter, and the filling inside isn't quite as overwhelming. Um, so, but I, I did still in, enjoy it. It's not—I don't think it's quite as good as the strawberry pop tart cereal, but it's still pretty good. Uh, and then uh, everyone remembers Corn Pops. Um, Corn Pops now has a chocolate peanut butter version i'm not sure if this is limited edition or it's like if it's a new thing that they're, they're doing um but it's basically the taste isn't too different from reese's peanut butter puff cereal except if you've had corn pops before you know that the cereal itself is kind of sticky and because it's stickier the the crunch is a little bit chewier than normal cereals so compared to reese's peanut butter puffs the cereal has that same kind of consistency where it's slightly uh, chewy, crunchier at the same time than Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs. Personally, I think I like Reese's Peanut Butter Puffs better. That, that's one of my favorite cereals in general. Um, even the, the taste is roughly the same, but it's the, I guess, the consistency, like um, or the feel when you're chewing it, that the it's um, it's a little bit weird because it, it it's almost a little bit more of a, I don't want to say a struggle, but it's just it's chewier when you're when you're eating it. Um, and then there is, uh, there's yet another new Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew is like churning out flavors the same pace that Oreo churns out new flavors. Um, and this one is exclusive to Kentucky Fried Chicken locations or KFC. And it's called Sweet Lightning Mountain Dew, which is a basically a peach flavor with a little bit of sweet honey tossed into it. Uh, and it's definitely... Uh, probably the sweetest Mountain Dew they've made. You can really taste the honey in it, but it mixes pretty well uh, with the peach. It's almost kind of like a like a peach tea soda, I would I would say. Um, so you can you can only get that right now at KFC. It's not in a bottle or anything. You have to get it as a fountain drink um, at the actual KFC uh, restaurants. Um, and then Peter, a while back in our Slack, you asked me specifically to make sure that I found these to try them because, <laughs> uh, you, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And so I found, uh, the freeze pop flavored Skittles. Uh, this is a new summer limited edition flavor that they put out that you can only get at dollar general stores. Um, and Peter, you're, you're honestly not missing much here. They, the, the flavors that come in Damn. the pouch are blue raspberry, orange, grape, lemon, and strawberry. But they honestly don't taste like freeze pop flavors. They basically just taste like those Skittles flavors, uh, and they're just put into this pouch. So I don't know what what it is that makes them think that they are freeze pop flavored, but I literally tasted nothing about them that reminded me of, of eating a freeze pop. What a ripoff. Yeah. Okay, 
Let's move on to what we've been playing. I'll, I'll be very brief here because I know we're running late on this podcast. Uh, I finally beat Super Hot. This is the game I've been playing for Oculus Quest, the VR headset. And um, I think Brad talked about last week on the podcast. And uh, one of the problems with this game is like once you start playing, you can only play at the level that you are at. So when I had Brad play it, he, it was at like one of the last levels of the game, which was super hard. And I, I don't think he got that far with it. Now that you beat the game, you get access to all the levels. So you get like a menu that lets you select any of the levels within the game. And I just wish that was available from the start because it would have been fun to show Brad like one of the first levels, which, you know, introduces some of the concepts of that game. But I really recommend it's a short game, but I really recommend it. It really makes you feel badass and like you're in the Matrix. It's called Super Hot. Uh, I know a bunch of my friends have played it not in VR, and I, I don't even understand how you would play it, like what this game would be like non-VR, because it seems like the VR aspect of this is just so much of what I enjoy about this game. Um, and also uh, Beat Saber, I'm still playing that. They did release... Uh, I know, Brad, you were saying that you were worried that there's not many tracks for it. I think there's a few different albums that they've released thus far available. So there's like... I think like 30 or so songs right now. Uh, but they just released Imagine Dragons uh, pack that I think it was like 12 bucks or something. I down- I paid for that. Uh, not that I'm a huge Imagine Dragons fan. But now now I have even more songs to Beat Saber 2. And I've tried that and uh, I'm not good at it. But I'm, I'm actually, getting better. I actually found out too, because I was curious about this. Cause that, since I had seen videos of people playing other songs, there is a way that you can um, download and install custom songs for Beat Saber uh, to play and they, they usually they have to update the method uh, by which they do it whenever there's like a new software update or something like that but it looks like it's pretty easy to do so if I ever get an Oculus Quest I'm definitely going to download custom songs mm. to play on there see I'm so nervous about like those kind of like side hack things I don't want to wreck my I'm, I'm such a I just I just don't know what to do with the technology if I if I were to break it so I'm just like staying away from that but I'm enjoying it. I, I have not, uh, you know, I'm still on the normal level. When Brad came over here, he came over and was like beating stuff on hard and getting like A's and B's. So uh, I'm I'm still not at the the level of rhythm of Brad. So uh, <laughs> so yeah, I've been doing that. Uh, Jacob, what have you been playing this week? Uh, as discussed a few weeks ago, I am running a Star Wars RPG campaign, and we had our latest session. And as I also discussed a few weeks ago, I play a sandbox-style game where we don't follow a written guide. Uh, players are very much free to make the story as they go, and I react to that. So my characters, at the end of the last session, everybody learned of a valuable heist opportunity that would, uh, for the rebel characters, fund the rebel alliance, and for the criminal characters, fill their pockets. So they all agreed to team up to take down this corrupt local governor's security in order to enter his high-rise tower and empty his vault. And they had a bunch of opportunities of how to do this in various ways to gather equipment and get resources. And the team members could not agree. So they decided to split the party with three members of the group going to infiltrate a, uh, an a imperial base and the other three going undercover at a high-class nightclub. Uh, and for the nightclub crew, things went great. They rolled great. They got exactly what they needed. They found the guy they wanted to. They, they um, negotiated. They talked. They got all the money they needed. They found bombs. They found resources. They got connections. They like they ended the session ready to do their section of the heist, whereas the other players are still trapped uh, in the, in a deep underground imperial installation. 
further split into two more groups with a valuable ally dead, surrounded by stormtroopers, no easy way out, and I literally do not know what I'm going to do next session because one group, half the team is above ground and ready to go, and the other half is about as screwed as you could possibly be in an adventure scenario. So my goal as Game Master is to find a way to make these two story threads come together in a way that satisfies both teams. So I'll keep you updated, but things are getting weird and wild with this game, and I really appreciate uh, the Fancy Flight uh, Star Wars systems dice, which allow for a lot of good storytelling opportunities, because you can succeed in a task but have a negative outcome, or fail in a task but have, have a positive outcome. Like, for example, you knock a guard out, which is what you're trying to do, but you alert other guards by having a negative outcome. So it leads to some very cinematic situations where people are trapped in very bad places. And that's where the game is right now, and I'm having a great time with it. It seems like you're creating your own Empire Strikes Back from the, from the situation you've put yourself in here. Yeah, except everyone's a whole lot stupider. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Home Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. Now, hey, I, I, hey. I, no, I, I know hey. Ben was hey. was not prepared, but I'm prepared, Jacob. I know hey. you're coming. I know hey. you're coming. Hey. Yeah? Hey, hey Peter. Yes. Hey, Peter. <laughs> yes, do, do you know what I have? I, I do know what you have. I, I, what, what do I have? I've learned after a year of doing this that you have the, bo- <laughs> the big book of insults. What's it called? Gargantuan <sighs> Book of Insults Affrontery. Look, Louis A. Sapien. Yeah. The book of insults and affrontery by Louis A. Sapien. Right. The fact that Peter has not learned the title of the book proves we have a lot. We have a long way to go. We have so much. Your favorite, Jacob, because now I know the the title. H. You you you'll get a special insult today uh, from the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery by Louis A. Sapien. I've opened up to the entertainers page, and uh, Peter, your performance underwhelmed the audience. That's it? Wait, what? <laughs> I, I don't even understand. Don't, what is the joke? Your yes. performance underwhelmed the audience. I Wow, I literally you know, don't understand. The first time yeah, I didn't get it, the first time I didn't get it but the second time point. you said it, I still didn't get it. Her perfor- <laughs> your performance underwhelmed the audience. <laughs> this is literally like just you watching, walking to Peter and saying, hey, that really sucked. <laughs> uh, ben... The only reason you weren't hissed at is that the audience couldn't yawn and hiss at the same time. Okay, well that one at least makes sense. Sure. <laughs> oh, Brad, uh, he claims singing worms of blood, but his makes our blood boil. Oh boy. Uh, HG, here's your very special insult. Yay. Um, you're such a ventriloquist, your dummy is quitting to find a new partner. So special. Uh, but meanwhile, Peter... Well, well apparently they're not per- that, that much of a dummy, then. Yeah. Uh, uh, Peter, your performance underwhelmed the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't even make any sense, Jacob. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs>